Well, good evening, guys. Uh, let's uh, open up our Bibles here tonight to the Gospel of John, chapter uh, 9. Welcome, if you're with us online as well, John chapter 9. It's all turned there, and as we continue in the Gospel of John, we come to Jesus healing a man who was blind from birth. He, he was born blind, in other words, and, and Jesus is going to, uh, to touch him and heal him. And, you know, as with all of the miracles of Jesus... It was, most people would say more than a physical event. I would say it was more than a supernatural event. Because it had, beyond merely supernatural, it had spiritual purpose and significance. And, and, and the man declared, and we're going to see him here declare, now I see. And he meant that. Uh, ultimately in more ways than one, and it was because of Jesus. We're all born blind, you could say, and it is only through Jesus Christ uh, that we can see. And so we're going to look at how Jesus heals this man, and then as a result, he's put out of the synagogue, we'll see that, and then how Jesus spoke then, as I alluded just a moment ago, how he spoke about true vision. John chapter 9 verse 1 says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind uh, from birth. And so Jesus had gone out of the temple and he he passed uh, a certain area and he sees a man no doubt somewhere near the temple who uh, would have been begging and uh, he was always blind. He he never was able to, to see in his entire life, never knew uh, what we just naturally know. And the disciples noticed this man, and it got them wondering, and so they asked Jesus, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, if you saw a person who was blind, and you were with Jesus, um, your first question probably wouldn't be who sinned to cause him to be blind. But this was a very natural question um, for a Jewish person. Because, you see, if in this culture you were poor, or if you experienced tragedy, or if you had a disability, then it was someone's fault. It was somebody's fault that, that you were that way, either yours or, or someone else's fault. And so the disciples wonder, was it his parents' fault that he was born blind? Or did God somehow know the sins that he would commit? And so in a way it was his own fault that he was, it was punishment you know, from the beginning uh, for his, his own sins that he would commit. And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So Jesus provides uh, an entirely different perspective on this man's disability. You know, some things in life are the consequence of sin. People can be born blind as a result uh, of their parents' sin. What do I mean by that? Well, 
Someone can sin, they can, they can go out and take certain drugs and they can harm the child uh, in the womb. And so you could say that, yeah, people could be directly, uh, could directly suffer as a result of the sins of others. You can go out and, and you can drink and drive and someone can die. Uh, you could kill somebody and it could be said that they died as a result of your sin. That's not a hard connection uh, to make. And things like that happen every day, tragically. So people can suffer uh, from sin. And people can suffer as a result, as a consequence of their own sin. But some things in our lives are not the consequence of sin. Uh, They are God preparing to work. They are God preparing to work in the lives of individuals and also to make a greater declaration through their lives, through perhaps tragedy, through disability. And so God did not cause his condition. You could say in a sense that sin did cause his condition. It wasn't his parents, it wasn't his own sin, but but sin in a way did cause his condition. Original sin caused his condition, but God would use it. God was preparing for this moment. He had allowed this in his life to use it. In Romans chapter 5, when we talk about uh, original sin, it's important to understand that term. And in Romans chapter 5, it says that uh, verse 12, if you want to take a look down there in in, uh, verse 12 of Romans chapter chapter 5, it says that just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came uh, from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So we see that death entered into the world through original sin, through the sin of of Adam. And as a result, it brought spiritual death, but physical death also entered into the world. That process of, of of Processes of disease and degradation of, of human genes and, and all of this, that, that ball started rolling. And everything that we experience today, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of viruses and all kinds of things that can happen to people and, and all kinds of things, both uh, 
relatively harmless to extremely fatal, all of the, the pro- whole process uh, in the world for that to uh, exist got started as a result of sin. And so, you know, man gradually, the genetics of man over time and, and uh, as man reproduces and there are uh, alterations in genes and things appear and there are new things that appear in nature and so forth. All, all of these different processes that are threatening to us, all of that began along with our spiritual death and became the different contributing factors to what would bring physical death. And so you could say that, that we, we destroyed the world we destroyed our, a cell, ourselves. We destroyed everything around us through sin. You say, well, I didn't do it. <laughs> well, that's comical because, uh, you know, it's as if it, we went back and it was us and not Adam, we would have made a different choice. You know, we, we prove that we wouldn't because each and every day we ratify Adam's decision, unfortunately, when we choose to sin. When we rebel against God. But all of this that we see is the, is the result of sin. So as I've said many times, and I'm sure I'm not the only person that has said this, but if you really care about your environment, and if you really care about your fellow man, then the only answer is Jesus Christ. You will turn to Jesus Christ and you will ensure that as many other people as possible hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ because that is the only hope. That is the only hope. And one day, this earth will pass away and there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem in, right, in which righteousness dwells, in which there is, there is no handprint thumbprint of man's sin upon the perfect creation of God, either on our environment or on ourselves, because God is the only one uh, who can fix that. And so what we see here is, in this man, is what you have seen in people you have known and loved, is what you see going on around you every day in the world. It's the result uh, of sin. And so he was suffering, but it wasn't even so much sin that, that, that God allowed that in his life. And by the way, people say, well, you know, why does, they blame God. Isn't it interesting? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow people to be born blind? Well, we're pointing the finger uh, in the wrong direction. It's not God that has allowed it. It's, it's us. We cause this. And in fact... God has resolved it, and it's a matter of time before he comes to culminate that, and God in his grace and his mercy has resolved it. And so they see this, and they just want to know who's to blame for this, and Jesus, you know, he doesn't so much focus on sin, but he focuses on the opportunity. They weren't individually to blame, specifically. It was an opportunity for God to to work through his condition. And verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming 
when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And so Jesus had prepared him. I I bet at times it didn't really feel like God was preparing him for anything. I think at times it probably felt like God had just prepared him for, for judgment, for hardship, for, for, for misery. And I think that there's a lot of people that feel that way. They, they might think, you know, why, why me, God? Why, why is my life this way? Why am I disabled? Or why is my child disabled? Or... Why have I experienced this loss? What, what did I do wrong? What did I do to, to deserve this? And Jesus would say nothing. But that the works of God should be revealed in you. That God would have an opportunity to show His love not only to you, to show His power not only to you, to show His grace and His mercy not only to you, but to the world. Sin caused that, but God is the remedy and the solution. And so, He bends down and He spits on the ground and He makes a clay with the, the, the dirt and His saliva and He rubs it on this man's eyes. He proceeds to, to heal this man and you might look at that and you might say, whoa, ooh, you know, that's uh, a little messy. Why, why, you know, Jesus didn't, obviously didn't have to do that, you know, so why did he choose to do it that way? Well, you know, uh, Jesus did things in a variety of ways. I'm so glad that he, he did. And by the way, uh, I believe that he did things in a variety of ways so that we wouldn't ritualize them. Can you imagine if this was the only way that Jesus healed? Uh, You know, that could be a little bit messy. We would, you know, if this was the way, if Jesus always healed by spitting in the dirt and making a mud paste and, you know, wiping it on someone's eyes or, you know, Maybe it, it was their skin, their leprosy or something, you know, and he would rub it on their bodies. You know, in every church, you'd probably have a little tub of dirt. And, you know, uh, we would spit in that. We'd make a mud and hoping that God would heal them. And it would be really bizarre and messy. Uh, and so, you know, it's good that he did it this way, but he did it other ways, thankfully, too. And, 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 and he varied it. Because man is so prone to, to think, well, if that's the formula, then I have to do it and, 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 and that way, and, and, or I need to copy that. And so Jesus did things, you know, sometimes he didn't even see the person. And sometimes he has, you know, very unusual contact with the individual. You know what's also, what I like about this miracle is that it was so potentially offensive and simple. When you look at this, you, you might be kind of, you know, turned off a little bit by it. And I think that that's uh, p- 
part of the beauty of this miracle. It's a picture of the gospel, really. And the gospel is potentially offensive and and simple, and yet it gives sight to the blind. And as Jesus is giving sight to this man, he he does something, and a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to do that. That's, ew. You know, if that's, if, if that's what it takes, then I don't want to see. But listen, if you're truly blind, sure, spit in the dirt, rub it on my eyes. I don't care as long as I can see. You don't have a problem with the simplicity. You don't have, have a problem with what is seemingly uh, a little bit unpleasant. And so it's also interesting to me as well, just looking as long as we're looking at types that that uh, we go back to the beginning. And man was originally formed from the dirt, which Jesus uses here to heal this man, and or as part of the healing anyway. And so it's not surprising that this man is made complete uh, from the same dust. In Genesis chapter 2, Verse 7, as we go back to the creation of man, it says that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Isn't that interesting? You know, we've gotten pretty technologically advanced uh, as a human race. But we can't create life, particularly from dust. We can take elements and we can put them together, but we're missing one critical piece here, and that is that God creates man from the dust, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. He breathed life into that which he created from the dust. And so now he completes this man. He's been born, he's been marred by sin and and the world, and now God completes him from that same dust, which is really quite remarkable. And it's interesting because I think that perhaps most of all, the the whole process did something for that man. It wasn't something that was necessary for Jesus, but I think it was an avenue of faith. It provided a connection for this man's faith, and I believe that there are some unwritten, unspoken things here where Jesus knew that this man, that this method would be helpful for him. That it would perhaps provide a connection for his faith to believe and to trust in Jesus and to receive that healing or for others uh, that were around watching. And so verse 7, it says that he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So what I mean by his faith is, is is that Jesus created this mud and he wipes it on his eyes, but, but he's, he's not seeing yet. Right? He's, he's still got to go wash in the pool uh, of Siloam. And then when he did, the scripture says, when he went and washed, he came back seeing. So 
there was a process going on here and he needed to have faith to then go and to wash in that pool to make his way still without being able to see but with mud all over his eyes to go and to wash in that pool and then to return and to be able to see. The pool of Siloam was an interesting uh, location, uh, a source of water that was long used to draw water for the temple for purification uh, rituals. And Siloam, uh, we're we're told, is translated scent. It means scent, uh, as in sending scent. Uh, and, and it paints a picture of Jesus because what did Jesus say back in verse 4? I must work the works of him who sent me. And so the pool of Siloam was really a picture of Jesus Christ. And so he's sent by God. Jesus was sent by God to wash away our sin and to remove our spiritual blindness. In 2004... During, uh, excavation for, uh, uh, during excavation for a public works uh, project, first century steps leading down to a large pool were discovered. And it turned out to be this pool. And for a long time after 2004, there wasn't much you could see. Uh, the area was uh, fenced, walled and fenced off. You could kind of uh, look through the fence and see. Uh, but now uh, you can just go online and see uh, a lot more, especially in the last few years, a lot more excavation has been done of this site. And it's, it, it is turning out to be a, a remarkable uh, uh, site. And, and it, is, it is the site of the pool uh, from the time of Jesus and, and uh, one of those undeniable locations. And so uh, really amazing what we see happens to this man, how it involved that that particular pool. But back to our character in the story here, this individual, this account. Uh, Back to this idea uh, of the remarkable fact that he had never seen in his life. So now he is seeing for the first time in his life. What was that day like? What, what was that week like? As he's going around and he's seeing people, he had just heard their voices. Seeing places that he only knew by feel or by smell. And, and experiencing all of these things. Seeing the mountains for the first time that surround Jerusalem. Seeing the temple for the first time. And ultimately, seeing God. And, you know, that's a lot like when someone is born again and he sees spiritually for the first time. Maybe you remember what that was like. It's exactly like that. You went around blind from birth and then all of a sudden you see your world. You see other people. You see yourself through the eyes of God through the the lens of Scripture. And you understand. You understand for the first time things that you had experienced without all of your senses previously. And in verse 8, it says, 
that the neighbors of those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? So people began to talk. Others said, He's like him. He said, I'm him. He overheard them. Guys, I'm right here. You know, people are talking verses 8 and 9. Isn't that the guy who used to sit and beg? And some people said, no, he looks a lot like him, but this guy's not blind. That guy's blind. He says, no, I'm here to tell you, it's me. I'm him. And, And therefore they said, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and he said, a man called Jesus made clay. And anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. You can see where this is going. The Pharisees also asked him again, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Verse 16, therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was was division, it says, among them. So they began to wonder. He's not from God. He, He doesn't keep our traditions concerning the Sabbath. How can he not be from God? How can anyone do that and not be from God? And, and, and they began to, to be divided and to dispute with one another over this miracle. And in verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. So his understanding about Jesus is growing. His faith in Jesus is growing. His willingness to be honest about who Jesus is 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 being strengthened. At this point, he says he's a prophet. And I believe that he was being honest because we're going to see his interaction later where he comes to the full knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is. Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. And received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. So initially their explanation is, no, Jesus is a sinner, so he must not really have been blind. It must have been somebody else who was blind. They, maybe they're making this up, uh, and he wasn't really blind at all, and it's this, this, this big hoax. And so they ask his parents, They bring in his parents, verse 19. They say, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. <laughs> so they throw him under the bus. There were no buses back then, but, but, but you know what I mean. So they, 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 they throw him under the bus. 
because they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And it was already going around, look, if you come to the conclusion that this guy was really blind and that Jesus healed him of his blindness and that he did so because he's from God, then you're going to be, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. You know, whispering goes around. They hear about that and they decide, yeah, it's our son. Yeah, he was born blind. Yeah, he can see now. We're not really sure how. But, you know, he's an adult. You can ask him. <laughs> nice. But it didn't matter that, that they were unwilling to, to declare what was obvious because he's going to be willing to declare himself. And so, verse 24, they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give glory. Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, give God the proper glory. Tell us how this happened. We know that this man's a sinner. He couldn't have done it. And he answered and said, verse 25, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is pretty easy, he says. I, all this theological stuff, I'll leave that up to you. Here's what I know. I was blind, now I see. He did it. What else do you need to say? What else do you need to know? And they said to him again, Why, uh, what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already and you, didn't, you did not listen. Do you want to hear it again? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you, do you want to become his disciples? So they keep asking him the same thing over and over. And so uh, he messes with them a little bit. Uh, I admire that. And um, there was fear in his parents, but not really him. Uh, Jesus, as I said, is doing a work in him. He says, oh, you must want to become one of his, you must be asking because you want to be a disciple too. He knew they didn't. And so they reviled him. And they said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Isn't it interesting? Moses never healed the blind. Jesus did. And had they really been Moses' disciples, they would have been Jesus' disciples because Moses himself spoke of Jesus in Deuteronomy 18.15. And he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And they weren't willing to hear it, but there would be those who would truly believe who would be. And verse 29, they continue on, they say, we know that God spoke to Moses, as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. He says, Wow, that's shocking that you don't know where he's from, and yet he cured a blind man. Boldness. Verse 31. Now we know he continues on, that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. So he now begins to speak truths that they had probably taught him. And that was a general truth that they all understood, that we understand, that the, the scripture clearly enunciates that God doesn't hear sinners. This is a general truth. That God doesn't hear sinners. Psalm 66, 18. We can just look at a few of the passages that 
that make this clear. Psalm 66, the 18th verse. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I entertain sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, it says this. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. God, generally speaking, does not hear sinners. There are exceptions. God hears the prayer of repentance of the sinner, obviously. God is sovereign, and if He chooses, He can choose to hear and to answer uh, as He sees fit or as fits into His plan uh, a prayer of a sinner. But generally speaking, there is a wall uh, there is a, you know, a, a separation between sinners and God. There is a broken channel of communication. It's been broken through sin. And so God, there's no communication between the sinner and God. They understood that. The scripture very clearly tells us that. And so he brings that up and says, look, it, it, if God heard him, you know, if he's working and he's working with God and there's communication and he's, he's from God, clearly that's what would need to take place if someone was healed of blindness. If he can do that, how can he do that if he's a sinner since God doesn't hear sinners? It's a very reasonable question. And he says, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. Back to the reality. He's saying, how many people do you know that, have been, that, that, that God has uh, opened the eyes of someone who couldn't see? Not just name one that you know of, uh, or, you know, but ever. How, you know, can you? He says, they couldn't. In verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So it's interesting. It was unheard of in history. By the way, still is. Do you know anybody that's been healed of blindness? I don't. I've never even heard of it. If it has happened, surely God has done it. But do you know that Jesus performed this miracle more than any other? Jesus healed blind people more than he cured them of anything else. It was unheard of, and so he did that the most. And yet, they didn't receive him. He says, if he wasn't from God, nope, couldn't do it. Verse 34, they answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. They did their usual when they didn't have a good argument they had met their match in the blind guy who could now see so they excommunicated him as promised when it says they cast him out they didn't just make him leave they cast him out of the synagogue you can't you can't come back here you've just been healed uh, uh, of your blindness you can't come back here 
You can't come back to the, uh, back to the synagogue. It makes me think of people who have been born again who are probably not welcome in some churches, some religious places, because they don't fit tradition. They fit the gospel. They fit the word of God. They fit the molding of the Holy Spirit, but not religion. And, you know, when you get your sight, when Jesus helps you see and you come to him, well, you will see, but it will cost you something. It might cost you everything to follow him, but at that point, what does it really matter? And so, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, so Jesus, he was cast out, but Jesus went looking for him. You see, that's the beauty. You get cast out of some religious thing or whatever, Jesus will find you. Jesus found him once, he found him again. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and he said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? I love that. Jesus had just healed him. He thinks that maybe he's a great prophet or something. Jesus said, you know, he knows that he has a direct line of communication to God like no other person in human history clearly has had. And so Jesus asks him, you know, if, if he believes in the Son of God, and, and he just says, just tell me who he is and I'll believe because I trust you. Why wouldn't he trust Jesus? Jesus had, had healed him. He knew that he could trust Jesus. Just tell me who it is. Who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. I love that. He says first, you've seen him. I healed you so you could see me. I opened your eyes so you could see me. That's why God opens our eyes. Not for some fuller experience in life. But he opens our eyes spiritually that we might see him. And he says, you've seen him. And it is he who is talking with you. He not only heard, but he saw him. And then he said, no hesitation, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And so Jesus was just just bringing him along. He goes from prophet to, you know, someone who was from God to now recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God. And he understood, by the way, that that meant that he was God because he worships him. You know, he understood, they all understood, you don't worship anybody but God. And so he saw, he knew he was looking in the face of God, and he worships him. This is the second healing from blindness. He was healed the first time of his physical blindness. This is the spiritual healing. This is the greater miracle. We might tend to focus on the lesser, but this is the greater miracle. This is the spiritual, which is even greater than the supernatural healing that had taken place. Verse 39, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Some might think that's a contradiction between uh, John chapter 3, verse 17, 
uh, and, and what Jesus is communicating here. John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And yet here he says, for judgment I have come into this world. So it's easy to reconcile that. First of all, Jesus said those things. I don't think that he was particularly forgetful. Uh, I don't think also that the Spirit was or that John was. So obviously, um, he is trying to communicate a couple of different aspects uh, of the same thing uh, or uh, different timing uh, of the same thing. And that's because when he came the first time, his first coming was to save. But when he comes again, he's going to come again to judge. And the consequences of rejecting him the first time are going to be that people have rejected his salvation and thus they bring judgment upon themselves. So it's easy for us understanding the gospel, understanding the purpose of why Jesus came, why he is going to come again, what Jesus is saying here and what Jesus was saying earlier in the gospel of John. And the other part of this verse, he's saying that those who recognize their spiritual blindness and who turn to him, they're going to see. But those who insist, well, I, 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 I see fine. Um, you know, it's kind of like the guy who can't see anything. I, I see fine. I don't need glasses. You know, I, I'm fine. I'm okay to drive, you know, inside of a building. One time I remember I was at the DMV and I was sitting there and uh, there was, uh, the wall was collapsed at the DMV and it was all damaged and under repair. And, and so I asked what happened is, well, somebody drove into the side of the, D- inside of the DMV. So I, I said, I'm, I assume they didn't pass their test then. <laughs> That's a bad day. Yeah, you're not getting your license today. You drove into the DMV. Uh, anyway, you know, there's people that do that. I, I could see fine. They can't see, but they insist that they can see. And there's people that, that, that do that spiritually. They insist, I see fine. I don't need any help. I see fine without Jesus. Well, they will be made blind and they will continue. In darkness, Jesus says. Verse 40, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. If you were truly blind, you, you would just be ignorant, and, and, and in a certain sense, you would have no sin. He's not saying that they would be sinless, but he's saying that they, they are accountable. He says, But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. You insist that, that you're fine and you're in rebellion and your sin remains. So if they would admit their blindness, they could be forgiven. But since they admitted and, or insisted rather that they were not, their sin remained. And the question is, that's really a question for anybody. How about you? Does your sin remain? Oh, what a tragedy. What a tragedy to, to, to be in this world and your sin remains with you. I'm so glad my sin doesn't remain, not because of me, not because I'm special, not because I'm good. I I think of myself like Paul. Paul described himself as Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I am the number one sinner, I think, that he came to save. But my sin does not remain because Christ, he took it. And I received his sacrifice and it was gone with the cross. 
and with Him on the cross. And so what a picture we have here of the spiritual reality without Jesus. It's blindness. It's blindness. It's spiritual blindness. Jesus heals this blind man as a, as a picture of, of that. And, and, and also he heals him that he might heal him, as we said, of his greater spiritual blindness. So he healed him physically because ultimately he wanted to heal him spiritually. And the question is, how about you? Has Jesus healed you or are you like the Pharisees just insisting that I see fine? And your sin remains. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in you that our sin does not remain. It's gone. You didn't just cover it with the blood of your son. You removed it. No more. Thank you. Thank you for delivering us from this world. Thank you for delivering us from ourselves. Thank you for delivering us from death. Death has been vanquished and we have life in your son. And as we're here tonight, as we're praying, the Bible says if If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Receive. Give yourself to him. Let him take your sin. Let him take your blindness and look squarely into the face of God and worship him and serve him. If you've come here tonight and your sin was with you when you came, you can leave it behind when you go. It doesn't have to go with you. He's ready to take it. And he's ready to receive you. But you have to give your life to him. You have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You have to receive his sacrifice for your sins on that cross. You have to repent of your sin and make him your Lord and Savior and he'll take it. As quickly as you can ask it, he can take it. But you got to choose. Where will I spend forever? Will I take my sin to my grave and will it take me straight to hell? Or will I leave it behind in this life going straight into the presence of God for all eternity? That is our choice. If you're here tonight, if you haven't given your life to Christ, I invite you, raise your hand now so we can pray together and you can commit your life to Jesus Christ. You can repent of your sins. We'll lead you in a prayer as we close. And you know what? God is gonna hear your prayer. It's not magic words or anything like that. Just true repentance before God and asking Christ in. And if you haven't done that, we're going to do that together as we close. Again, you take this opportunity now. You slip up your hand and, and, and we'll pray as we wrap up. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we, we love you. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you that you've opened our eyes and that we can see him and we can worship him. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, that we pray.
Amen.